Epilogue of Cleek, the Man of the Forty Faces. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Cleek, the Man of the Forty Faces by Thomas W. Hanshu. Epilogue. The Affair of the Man Who Had Been Called Hamilton Cleek. Note for you, sir. Messenger just fetched it. Addressed to Captain Burbage, so it'll be from the yard said Dollops, coming into the room with a doughnut in one hand and a square envelope in the other. Cleek, who had been sitting at his writing-table, with a litter of folded documents, bits of antique jewellery, and what looked like odds and ends of faded ribbon lying before him, swept the whole collection into the table drawer as Dollops spoke, and stretched forth his hand for the letter. It was one of Narkom's characteristic communications, albeit somewhat shorter than those communications usually were, a fact which told Cleek at once that the matter was one of immense importance. "'My dear Cleek,' it ran, "'for the love of goodness don't let anything tempt you into going out to-night. I shall call about ten. Foreign government affair. Reward simply enormous. Look out for me.' Yours in hot haste, Maverick Narkom. Be on the lookout for the red limousine, said Cleek, glancing over at Dollops, who stood waiting for orders. It will be along about ten. That's all. You may go. Right you are, Governor. I'll keep my eyes peeled, sir. Law, I do hope it's something to do with a restaurant or a cook shop this time. I could do with a job of that sort, my word, yes. I'm fair famishing. "'And begging pardon, but you don't look none too healthy yourself this evening, Governor. "'Ain't it something what's disagreed with you, have you, sir?' "'Aye? What nonsense! I'm as fit as a fiddle. "'What could make you think otherwise?' "'Oh, I don't know, sir. Only—' "'Well, if you don't mind my saying of it, sir, "'whenever you gets to unlocking of that drawer and looking at them things you keep in there, "'whatever they is, you always gets a sort of solemncholy look in the eyes, and you gets white about the gills, and your lips has a pucker to em that I don't like to see. Tommy Rot, imagination's a splendid thing for a detective to possess, Dollops, but don't let yours run away with you in this fashion, my lad, or you'll never rise above what you are. Toddle along now, and look out for Mr. Narkom's arrival. It's after nine already, so he'll soon be here. "'Anybody a-coming with him, sir?' "'I don't know. He didn't say. "'Cut along now. I'm busy,' said Cleek. "'Nevertheless, when Dollops had gone, "'and the door was shut, and he had the room to himself again, "'and if he really did have any business on hand, "'there was no reason in the world why he should not have set about it, "'he remained sitting at the table, "'and idly drumming upon it with his fingertips.' a deep ridge between his brows, and a faraway expression in his fixed, unwinking eyes. And so he was still sitting when, something like twenty minutes later, the sharp toot-toot of a motor-horn sounded. Narkom's note lay on the table close to his elbow. He took it up, crumpled it into a ball, and threw it into his waste-basket. "'A foreign government affair,' he said, with a curious one-sided smile. 
A strange coincidence, to be sure. Then, as if obeying an impulse, he opened the drawer, looked at the litter of things he had swept into it, shut it up again and locked it securely, putting the key into his pocket and rising to his feet. Two minutes later, when Narkom pushed open the door and entered the room, he found Cleek leaning against the edge of the mantelpiece and smoking a cigarette with the air of one whose feet trod always upon rose petals and who hadn't a thought beyond the affairs of the moment nor a care for anything but the flavour of Egyptian tobacco. Ah, my dear fellow, you can't think what a relief it was to catch you. I had but a moment in which to dash off the note, and I was on thorns with fear that it would miss you. That on a glorious night like this you'd be off for a pull up the river or something of that sort, said the superintendent, as he bustled in and shook hands with him. You are such a beggar for getting off by yourself and mooning. Well, to tell you the truth, Mr. Narkom, I came within an ace of doing the very thing you speak of, replied Cleek. It's full moon for one thing, and it's primrose time for another. Happily for your desire to catch me, however, I uh, got interested in the evening paper, and that delayed me. "'Very glad, dear chap, very glad indeed,' began Narkom. Then, as his eye fell upon the particular evening paper in question, lying on the writing-table, a little crumpled from use, but with a certain displayed-headed article of three columns' length in full view, he turned round and stared at Cleek with an air of awe and mystification. "'My dear fellow!' You must be under the guardianship of some uncanny familiar. You surely must, Cleek, he went on. Do you mean to tell me that is what kept you at home? That you have been reading about the preparations for the forthcoming coronation of King Ulric of Mauravania? Yes, why not? I'm sure it makes interesting reading, Mr. Narkom. The kingdom of Mauravania has had sufficient ups and downs to inspire a novelist, so its record should certainly interest a mere reader. To be frank, I found the account of the amazing preparations for the coronation of his new majesty distinctly entertaining. They are an excitable and spectacular people, those Mauravanians, and this time they seem bent upon outdoing themselves. "'But, my dear Cleek, that you should have chosen to stop at home and read about that particular affair. Bless my soul, man, it's—it's it's amazing, abnormal, uncanny, positively uncanny, Cleek.' "'My dear Narkom, I don't see where the uncanny element comes in, I must confess,' replied Cleek, with an indulgent smile. "'Surely an Englishman must always feel a certain amount of interest in Mauravanian affairs. "'Have the goodness to remember that there should be an Englishman upon that particular throne. "'Aye, and there would be two, but for one of those moments of weak-backed policy, "'of a desire upon the part of the old woman element which sometimes prevails in English politics "'to keep friendly relations with other powers at any cost.' Brush up your history, Mr. Narkom, and give your memory a Philip. 
Eight and thirty years ago, Queen Karma of Mauravania had an English consort, and bore him two daughters and one son. You will perhaps recall the mad rebellion, the idiotic rising which disgraced that reign. That was the time for England to have spoken, but the peace party had it by the throat. They, with their mawkish cry for peace, peace at any price, drowned the voices of men and heroes, and the end was what it was. Queen Karma was deposed. She and her children fled, God knows how, God knows where, fled and left a dead husband and father, slain like a hero and an Englishman, fighting for his own, and with his face to the foe. Avenge his death, nonsense, declared the old women. He had no right to defy the will of heaven, no right to stir up strife with a friendly people, and expect his countrymen to embroil themselves because of his lust for power. It would be a lasting disgrace to the nation if England allowed a lot of howling bloodthirsty meddlers to persuade it to interfere. The old women had their way. Queen Karma and her children vanished. Her uncle Duke Tvorza came to the throne as Albertus III, and eight months ago his son, the present King Ulrich, succeeded him. The father had been a bad king, the son, a bad crown prince. Mauravania has paid the price. Let her put up with it. I don't think in the light of these things, Mr. Narkom, there is any wonder that an Englishman finds interest in reading of the affairs of a country over which an Englishman's son might and ought to have ruled. As for me, I have no sympathy, my friend, with Mauravania or her justly punished people. "'Still, my dear fellow, that should not count when the reward for taking up this case is so enormous, and I dare say it will not.' "'Reward? Case?' repeated Cleek. "'What do you mean by that?' "'That I am here to enlist your services in the cause of King Ulrich of Mauravania,' replied Narkom impressively. "'Something has happened, Cleek, which, if not cleared up before the coronation day, now only one month hence, as you must have read, will certainly result in His Majesty's public disgrace, and may result in his overthrow and death. His friend and chief adviser, Count Irma, has come all the way from Mauravania, and is at this moment downstairs in this house to put the case in your hands.' and to implore you to help and to save his royal master. His royal master? The son of a man who drove an Englishman's wife and an Englishman's children into exile, poverty, misery, despair, said Cleek, pulling himself up. I won't take it, Mr. Narkom. If he offers me millions, I'll lift no hand to help or to save Mauravania's king. The response to this came from an unexpected quarter. "'But to save Mauravania's queen, monsieur, will you do nothing for her?' said an excited and imploring voice. And as Cleek, startled by the interruption, switched round and glanced in the direction of the sound, the half-closed door swung inward, and a figure, 
muffled to the very eyes, moved over the threshold into the room. Have pardon, monsieur, I could not but overhear, went on the newcomer, turning to Narkom. I should scarcely be worthy of his majesty's confidence and favour had I remained inactive. I simply had to come up unbidden. Had to, monsieur, turning to Cleek. And so— His words dropped off suddenly. A puzzled look first expanded and then contracted his eyes, and his lips tightened curiously under the screen of his white military moustache. Monsieur, he said, presently putting into words the sense of baffling familiarity which perplexed him. Monsieur, you then are the great, the astonishing Cleek? You, monsieur? Pardon, but surely I have had the pleasure of meeting monsieur before. No, not here, for I have never been in England until today. But in my own country, in Moravania. Surely, monsieur, I have seen you there? On the contrary, said Cleek, speaking the simple truth. I have never set foot in Mauravania in all my life, sir, and as you have overheard my words, you may see that I do not intend to even now. The difficulties of Mauravania's king do not in the least appeal to me. Ah, but Mauravania's queen, monsieur, Mauravania's queen. The lady interests me no more than does her royal spouse. But, monsieur, she must, she really must, if you are honest in what you say, and your sympathies are all with the deposed and exiled ones, the ex-queen Karma and her children. Surely, monsieur, you, who seem to know so well the history of that sad time, cannot be ignorant of what has happened since to her ex-majesty and her children. I know only that Queen Karma died in France in extreme poverty, befriended to the last by people of the very humblest birth, and of not too much respectability. What became of her son I do not know, but her daughters, the two princesses, mere infants at the time, were sent one to England, where she subsequently died, and the other to Persia, where I believe she remained up to her ninth year, and then went no one seems to know where. Then, monsieur, let me tell you what became of her. The late King Albertus discovered her whereabouts, and to prevent any possible trouble in the future, imprisoned her in the fort of Solberga, up to the year before his death. Eleven months ago she became the Crown Prince Ulrich's wife. She is now his consort, and by saving her, monsieur, you who feel so warmly upon the subject of the rights of her family's succession will be saving her, helping Moravia's queen, and defeating those who are her enemies. Cleek sucked in his breath, and regarded the man silently, steadily, for a long time. Then— "'Is that true, Count?' he asked. "'On your word of honour as a soldier and a gentleman, is that true?' "'As true as holy writ, monsieur. On my word of honour. On my hopes of heaven.' 
"'Very well, then,' said Cleek quietly. "'Tell me the case, Count. I'll take it.' "'Monsieur, my eternal gratitude. "'Also the reward is—we will talk about that afterward. "'Sit down, please, and tell me what you want me to do.' "'Oh, monsieur, almost the impossible,' said the Count despairfully. "'The outwitting of a woman who must in very truth be the devil's own daughter. "'So subtle, so appalling are the craft and cunning of her. "'That for one thing. "'For another, the finding of a paper, which if published, "'as the woman swears it shall be if her terms are not acceded to, will be the signal for his majesty's overthrow. And for the third... Emotion mastered him. His voice choked up and failed. He deported himself for a moment, like one afraid to let even his own ears hear the things spoken of aloud, then governed his cowardice and went on. For the third thing, monsieur, he said, lowering his tone until it was almost a whisper. "'The recovery, the restoration to its place of honour "'before the coronation day arrives, "'of that fateful gem, Mauravania's pride and glory, "'the rainbow pearl.' "'Cleek clamped his jaws together like a bloodhound snapping, "'and over his hardening face "'there came a slow-creeping, unnatural pallor. "'Has that been lost?' he said in a low, bleak voice. "'Has he, this precious royal master of yours, this usurper, "'has he parted with that thing, the wondrous rainbow pearl?' "'Monsieur knows of the gem, then?' "'Know of it? Who does not? Its fame is worldwide.' "'Wars have been fought for it, lives sacrificed for it. "'It is more valuable than England's Koh-i-Noor, "'and more important to the country and the crown that possess it. "'The legend runs, does it not, that Mauravania falls "'when the rainbow pearl passes into alien hands? "'An absurd belief, to be sure, "'but who can argue with a superstitious people?' or hammer wisdom into the minds of babies. And that has been lost, that gem so dear to Mauravania's people, so important to Mauravania's crown. Yes, monsieur. Ah, the good God help my country, yes, said the Count brokenly. It has passed from his majesty's hands. It is no longer among the crown jewels of Mauravania. A Russian has it. A Russian? Cleek's cry was like to nothing so much as the snarl of a wild animal. A Russian to hold it! A Russian! The sworn enemy of Mauravania, the race most hated of her people. God help your wretched king, Count Irma, if this were known to his subjects. "'Ah, monsieur, it is what we dread. "'It is that against which we struggle,' replied the Count. "'If that jewel were missing on the coronation day, "'if it were known that a Russian holds it, "'dear God, the populace would rise, rise, monsieur, "'and tear his majesty to pieces.' 
"'He deserves no better,' said Cleek, through his close-shut teeth. "'To a Russian, a Russian, as heaven hears me but for his queen. "'Well, let it pass. "'Tell me, how did this Russian get the jewel, and when?' Oh, long ago, monsieur, long ago, many months before King Albertus died. Was it his hand that gave it up? No, monsieur. He died without knowing of its loss, without suspecting that the stone in the royal parure is but a sham and an imitation, replied the Count. It all came of the youth, the recklessness, the folly of the crown prince. Monsieur may have heard of his his many wild escapades, his thoughtless acts, his his call them dissipations, Count, and give them their real name. His acts as Crown Prince were a scandal and a disgrace. To whom did he part with this gem? A woman? Monsieur, yes. It was during the time he was stopping in Paris incognito to all but a trusted few. He he met the woman there, became fascinated with her, bound to her, an abject slave to her. A slave to a Russian? Mauravania's heir and a Russian? Monsieur, he did not know that until afterward. In a mad freak, there was to be a masked ball, he yielded to the lady's persuasions to let her wear the famous rainbow pearl for that one night. He journeyed back to Mauravania and abstracted it from among the royal jewels, putting a mere imitation in its place, so that it should not be missed until he could return the original. Monsieur, he was never able to return it at any time, for once she had got it, the Russian made away with it in some secret manner, and refused to give it up. Her price for returning it was his royal father's consent to ennoble her, to receive her at the Moravanian court, and so to alter the constitution that it would be possible for her to become the crown prince's wife. The proposition of an idiot. The thing could not possibly be done. No, monsieur, it could not. So the crown prince broke from her and bent all his energies upon the recovery of the pearl and the keeping of its loss a secret from the king and his people. Bravos, footpads, burglars, all manner of men were employed before he left Paris. The woman's house was broken into, the woman herself waylaid and searched, but nothing came of it, no clue to the lost jewel could be found. Why, then, did he not appeal to the police? Monsieur, he... He dared not. In one of his moments of madness, he, she, that is, oh, monsieur, remember his youth. It appears that the woman had got him to put into writing something which, if made public, would cause the people of Moravania to rise as one man, and to do with him as wolves do with things that are thrown to them in their fury. "'The dog! Some treaty with a Russian, of course,' said Cleek indignantly. "'Oh, fickle Moravania, how well you are punished for your treasonable choice. "'Well, go on, Count. What next?' 
Of a sudden, monsieur, the woman disappeared. Nothing was heard of her, no clue to her whereabouts discovered for two whole years. She was as one dead and gone until last week. Uh-huh. She returned, then? Yes, monsieur. Without hint or warning, she turned up in Moravania, accompanied by a disreputable one-eyed man who has the manner and appearance of one bred in the gutters of Paris, albeit he is well-clothed, well-looked after, and she treats him and his wretched collection of parakeets with the utmost consideration. Parakeets? put in Narkom excitedly. My dear Cleek, couldn't a parakeet be made to swallow a pearl? Perhaps, but not this one, Mr. Narkom, he made reply. It is quite the size of a pigeon's egg, I believe, is it not, Count? Yes, monsieur, quite. To see it is to remember it always. It has the changing lights of the rainbow, and— Never mind that. Go on with the story, please. This woman and this one-eyed man appeared last week in Moravania, you say? Yes, monsieur. And with them a bodyguard of at least ten servants. Her demand now is that his majesty make her his morganatic wife, that he establish her at the palace under the same roof with his queen— and that she be allowed to ride with them in the state carriage on the coronation day. Failing that, she swears that she will not only publish the contents of that dreadful letter, but send the original to the chief of the Moravanian police, and appear in public with the rainbow pearl upon her person. The Jezebel! What steps have you taken, Count, to prevent this? All that I can imagine, monsieur. To prevent her from getting into close touch with the police, I have thrown open my own house to her, and received her and her retinue under my own roof, rather than allow them to be quartered at an hotel. Also, this has given me the opportunity to have her effects and those of her followers secretly searched, but no clue to the letter, no clue to the pearl, has anywhere been discovered. Still, she must have both with her. "'otherwise she could not carry out her threat. "'No doubt she suspects what motive you had "'in taking her into your own house, Count. "'A woman like that is no fool. "'But tell me, does she show no anxiety, "'no fear of a search?' "'None, monsieur. "'She knows that my people search her effects. "'Indeed she has told me so. "'But it alarms her not a whit.' As she told me two days ago, I shall find nothing, but if I did, it would be useless, for on the moment anything of hers was touched, her servants would see that the finder never carried it from the house. Oh, said Cleek, with a strong rising inflection. A little searching party of her own, eh? The lady is clever at all events. The moment either pearl or letter should be removed from its hiding place, her servants would allow nobody to leave the house without being searched to the very skin? Yes, monsieur. So if by any chance you were to discover either— My friend, set your mind at rest, interposed Cleek. If I find either or both, 
They will leave the house with me, I promise you. Mr. Narkom, he turned to the superintendent, keep an eye on Dollops for me, will you? There are reasons why I can't take him, can't take anybody, with me in the working out of this case. I may be a couple of days, or I may be a week. I can't say as yet. But I start with Count Irma for Mauravania in the morning. And Mr. Narkom? Yes, old chap. Do me a favour, please. Be at Charing Cross Station when the first boat train leaves tomorrow morning, will you? And bring me a small pot of extract of beef. A very small pot, the smallest they make. Not bigger than a shilling, nor thicker than one, if they make them that size. What's that? Hide the pearl in it. <laughs> what nonsense! I don't want one half big enough for that. Besides, they'd be sure to find it when they searched me, if I tried any such fool's trick as that. Dollops isn't the only creature in the world that gets hungry, my friend, and beef extract is very sustaining. Very, I assure you, sir. End of the first part of the epilogue.